Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Candace, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, and today's program is called Taking Your Pills on Schedule, Why It is So Important in Managing Your Cancer. And today's program is a collaborative program between cancer care and many other cancer organizations. And it is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. Now, we have on the call today over 648 participants, and you come from all over the United States and from all different parts of the United States. And we also have international participants from Canada, Costa Rica, the Philippines, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world. And it is a credit to you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. Now, today's program was supported by an educational grant from Pharmacyclics LLC, an AbbVie company, and Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program. And um, we have just wonderful speakers on our program today. And I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Catherine Ruddy. Dr. Ruddy is Director, Cancer Survivorship, Department of Oncology, Mayo Clinic. Um, and Dr. Uh, Ruddy is going to be addressing an overview of cancer treatments, definition of adherence, so taking your pills on schedule, and clinical trials on adherence. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Ruddy. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak about this important topic today. You know, today's cancer treatments can include surgeries, radiation, chemotherapies, hormonal therapies, particularly for some hormonally sensitive cancers like prostate cancer and breast cancer, and other non-chemotherapy drugs that kill cancer cells, which we sometimes call targeted therapies if they take advantage of a specific characteristic of the cancer cell to halt growth of the cancer. Surgeries, radiation, and intravenous chemotherapies are generally given in the hospital or oncology clinic. But some chemotherapies, as well as hormonal therapies and targeted therapies, are given orally, and patients are asked to take them at home. For these therapies, the patients really bear the burden of making sure they take the medications as directed. Now, I'm a breast medical oncologist, and most of my breast cancer patients do end up requiring oral therapy at some point during their treatment. Often this is tamoxifen or another anti-estrogen treatment, and there's substantial evidence to suggest that many patients aren't able to take their medications exactly as prescribed. I'm interested in helping patients follow instructions for taking cancer treatments as accurately as possible in order to optimize how well they do. So we say that a patient is adherent to a regimen when he or she takes his or her pills as instructed. In other words, if the pill is supposed to be taken with food every 12 hours, the patient is taking it that way without skipping doses or taking extra doses. We say that a patient is persistent with a regimen when he or she does not stop the treatment early. For example, if you're advised to take a pill daily for five years and you continue for the entire five years of treatment rather than stopping after one or two or three years, then you would be persistent with that therapy. In the old days, we used to refer to compliance rather than adherence and persistence, but we like these new terms better because they emphasize the active role that patients play in their treatment. Both adherence and persistence can be challenging for patients with many different medical problems, including cancer. 
Now, it may not sound that difficult to take medications as prescribed, but I know from personal experience that it is. I had a baby four and a half months ago, and during my pregnancy, I was supposed to take a prenatal vitamin every day. Given that the health of my unborn child was at stake, you'd think it would have been easy to remember to do this, but it really wasn't. In the morning, I was racing around getting ready for work, and I often forgot to take the vitamin. In the evening, I would stand in front of my medicine cabinet wondering whether I already took it or not. I would remember meaning to take it, but I was frequently unsure whether I actually did. Many of you can probably relate to this. With a prenatal vitamin, I knew that taking an extra one wouldn't harm me or the baby, so I usually erred on the side of doing that if I couldn't remember if I took it or not. But with cancer therapies, which may be toxic if you take too much, this is a more serious problem, and therefore adherence is a very important issue but may be particularly difficult. During my pregnancy, I was persistent with the prenatal vitamin in that I never stopped taking it entirely, but I wasn't very adherent in that I sometimes took few, too few or too many doses. I think this is a problem that we all probably have faced at one time or another, whether related to cancer drugs, antibiotics, blood pressure medications, vitamins, etc. Now, studies have shown that adherence rates for many chronic drug therapies are really only about 40 to 50 percent, and the World Health Organization has cited adherence as the single most important modifiable factor that compromises treatment outcomes across diseases. Turning to clinical trials, clinical trials are the very important research studies through which we improve cancer therapies by testing whether one treatment is more helpful than another. These are essential to our ability to make progress in the war against cancer, as without them we cannot find better therapies. Adherence is really crucial to clinical trials, because if patients who are on a clinical trial don't take their medications as instructed, the results of the trial may be inaccurate. For example, the trial may not show that a new drug is better than an old one if the participants in the trial didn't take a lot of the doses. Also, if the participants took more doses than they were supposed to, a given drug might appear to cause more side effects than it really would if taken as prescribed. Persistence also plays a major role here, as it is much more difficult to prove how many years an oral medication should be taken if the patients on a clinical trial testing 5 versus 10 years don't finish the recommended course of treatment on the trial. So in conclusion, adherence refers to taking a treatment the way it is prescribed, and persistence refers to continuing the treatment as long as it is recommended. Like people taking medications for all sorts of reasons, many cancer patients have difficulty being adherent or persistent with their therapies. Clinical trials that test whether one drug is better than another will only have accurate results about the benefits and side effects of the treatment if patients who are participating in the trial take their medications as directed. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be happy to take questions later in the call. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Ruddy. That was really excellent and just a wonderful presentation, uh, really, on this topic and, and getting and setting the stage for the whole whole program today. So thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Barbara Given. Uh, Dr. Given is an is a is an oncology nurse, um, a doctorate in nursing, and she also um, is a researcher. Um, she's a university distinguished professor, director of the PhD program, College of Nursing, Michigan State University. And Dr. Given is going to address the important role of adherence in managing cancer, barriers to taking your pills, practical tips to overcome these barriers, including planning ahead. 
it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Gibbon. Thank you very much, and thanks to everybody who is interested in this topic and participating today. So the important role of adherence has already been stressed, and the uh, areas both the hormonal therapy and the targeted therapy has been pointed out. I will talk mostly today about the targeted therapy because that's my current research and what I know the most about at the this current time. We have transferred this responsibility, as has already been pointed to the patient, so it's like we've moved from the um, chemo chair to the kitchen chair or the uh, living room chair or whatever and put uh, full force into the family the responsibility for taking these medications. The purpose of the targeted therapy is to help manage the disease. So the importance of adherence cannot be overstated. And where in some of the medication adherence, the literature would indicate an 80% adherence probably is okay for managing other chronic diseases. The current articles that we are reading about the targeted therapy says it is critical for 95% adherence. So it is so important. The therapeutic range of these medications is narrow. Uh, it is important to prolong the freedom of the disease progression, in fact, which should then prolong the survival time for the individual. So the importance and responsibility for taking these meds is uh, critical, and missing a dose does matter. And it's important that it's the dose and the time and the frequency that makes a difference. Uh, because of uh, these medications being toxic and being targeted, it is very important that um, we think about the barriers that can occur, and there are many, probably more than with other chronic diseases. Uh, I think one of the first things that we have to talk about with uh, patients as we look at this is uh, do they think, do you think you will be able to follow this uh, regimen that we are outlining for you. And I say that because many of the patients in the studies who are on these drugs are, have many other chronic diseases and are taking other meds. So it is important that they figure out how they can integrate the cancer drugs within the uh, 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 protocols that they have of taking their other meds as well. And then thinking about what the prescription is for taking the meds. Some of these meds are to be taken with food, some with no food, some with water, some with no water. Some uh, interact with high-fat diets, some interact with grapefruits, and I just read an article the, uh, uh, yesterday that indicated that Coke, not Diet Coke, uh, enhanced the uh, bio uh, action, biological action of uh, some medications. So that is uh, important to know all that and to understand that. So knowing all the restrictions for what you can eat and drink and not is uh, an a barrier for some individuals. I think some patients believe that because it is an oral medication rather than an intravenous medication, they're not as uh, likely to benefit from it and maybe it's not as strong. That is not the case. These medications are strong and they do have toxic effects and they do have uh, activity, rigorous activity. Uh, individual patients have competing priorities, work, other kinds of things, unstable living situations, truck drivers, travel, vacation, uh, snowbirds who go to 
uh, Florida or Arizona in the winter versus a summer uh, kind of schedule at cottages and stuff, that all makes some uh, difficulty in trying to uh, figure out how to follow uh, faithfully the adherence that needs to be. Because of the complexity of the regimens of, of the targeted therapy, it's not like taking the hormones where you may take them all the time or most of a month. There are protocols that you are on the medications for two weeks, then you might be off for a week, then you might be on for three weeks, and then off for a week. We have some protocols in our study where you take certain of the medications five days a week, different ones on the weekends, and then go back to a five-day-a-week and, and two-day uh, kinds of schedule. So all of those things make it difficult uh, to remember all of that, so you need support. So one of the barriers is lack of family support or resources to figure out how to actually uh, line up the medication. It's good if you can use some app, apps, the uh, uh, phone, smartphone apps, to do reminders but uh, not taking them and putting them unless um, your instructions indicate you can. In some of the pill containers we have, many of the targeted medications should not come out of the bottle that they come in. Uh, some of the drug companies are now putting these in blister packs or packs um, very much like birth control pills, so it tells you on day seven what to do, and you have all three pills in the same package, but not all of them do, so that becomes an issue. Uh, forgetfulness, you already heard about. We forget lots of things like uh, vitamins and whatever, so it is likely that with everything that's happening in busy lives, uh, one can forget. I've already mentioned about the multiple other chronic diseases that adds to the complexity. In our study, I, there are no patient that is on less than five other medications beside the oral agents that they are on who've uh, currently participated in our study, and we're at 150 who have. Uh, sometimes the emotional status about where you are in the cancer trajectory really becomes a barrier. The anxiety, you're anxious about things or depressed or sad about where you are, and that can interfere with your remembering, and that can interfere with the recalling even if you took it this morning or this afternoon or whatever. So that becomes an importance. As far as the side effects, um, it's important to manage them. And for some of the side effects, it's a matter of knowing what to do and that you can arrange your life or your day or your schedule or your food to actually manage the side effects that occur. For others, there are medications that are available that your physician may prescribe for you. And so it's very important that you also take those on time as prescribed because they could prevent the more negative or severe side effects that can occur. So it's important to take the uh, support drugs that would prevent nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, some of the uh, side effects that occur at the right time for those as well. It's important that you make uh, sure that we give you the adequate information that you need, so making sure that the physicians and nurses give you the information that you need for management. Uh, the uh, cancer drugs are very, very expensive, 
And so the uh, patients uh, often have very high uh, co-pays. Uh, there are certain insurances that don't cover some of the drugs, but even if the insurances do cover the drugs, the patients have to wait a while to get all that approval there. Uh, many of these drugs come from specialty pharmacies, which means that they are delivered uh, either to your hospital or clinic or to you directly, and so sometimes the waiting for that is, uh, occur. Uh, in some of the insurance policies, they cover uh, patients for a certain period of time, and then they stop the coverage. So we have patients on drugs that are as high as $15,000 a month, and for some of those patients, they might get drug assistance for a couple months, or their insurance may pay for a couple months, and suddenly the copay sticks in. And that could be a couple thousand dollars a month for that. And so all of those things need to be discussed with your uh, professionals and uh, talk about them uh, with them and let them know and ask about the cost and ask about the copay and ask about how long, uh, based on your insurance policy, uh, when that may come in. Because we really need you to persist, as Dr. Ruddy said, uh, for the period of time. And for some of these medications, it's uh, nine months on the medication, and some others, they will have to take the rest of their life, just like you might for the hormones for a few years. Some practical tips is to uh, uh, symptom manage. Make sure that you manage symptoms. There's a lot of guidelines for symptom management. Be sure and tell the symptoms to your physician so that they can order the drugs or other uh, uh, agents to help you, the supportive. Uh, make sure that you have cues for remembering the meds. It's important for the uh, oral agents that you don't put them in the bathroom because of the humidity in the bathroom. I already said don't take them out of the bottle uh, unless uh, it says that you can. You should be sure and report the symptoms and know what symptoms you should report early because you don't want to get too far into like a diarrhea or nausea and vomiting before it's managed because then you will end up being sicker and maybe even hospitalized when we could have prevented that. Uh, ask your uh, nurse or doctor to try and help simplify the schedule if you have a lot of medications to take. Um, as I said, there are reminder apps available uh, uh, online to take them, and most, many of them are free, so you don't have to pay a lot of money for them. And uh, know the requirements of food and fluids, and again, ask uh, about that so you get the information you need. And most of all, make sure that you have the information that you need to be able to stay on the medications and that you don't have to guess and that you don't have to guess what happens if this occurs or that occurs. Ask your professional to tell you. That one of the barriers is many of the cancer patients don't have to return to their uh, clinics as often on the oral agents. Some clinics do have uh, patients come back quite regularly. Others do not. And so you're not monitored nearly as closely as if you're on intravenous medication. So it becomes important for you to be an advocate for yourself to get the information you need so you can stay on the meds. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Given. That was really excellent and really uh, covered a lot of um, important areas for people to be aware of and, and, and tips in terms of managing um, and then staying on, and to just remaining adherent and persistent. So thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A.
And this is the multidisciplinary team. We really have um, many of the members of the team that you would be consulting with on this call. So our next speaker um, is Dr. Lisa Thompson, and Dr. Thompson is a pharmacist, and she um, is pharmacy program coordinator, PGY2 Oncology Residency Program Director, Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Thompson is going to address the role of your pharmacist, reminders from your pharmacy and pharmacist, and computer, tablet, and phone reminders, including emails, texts, and apps. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Thompson. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak today. So um, as was mentioned, I am a pharmacist, and I actually have a very unique role, and I've actually specialized um, in oncology and done training um, after my regular pharmacy school to really have a good understanding of oncology and some of the medications in that area. And depending on where you're being treated, you may actually have resources available like that um, for you as well, depending on where you're being treated. If not, um, in general, pharmacists do have a working knowledge of these medications and can definitely be a great resource to you. Um, so if you're in an outpatient cancer center, that's actually where I work and can help and work with my patients to help them learn about their oral chemotherapy agents, sit down and talk with them about how to take them, what barriers there might be, and talk about some of these important issues that we're discussing today. So I hope that throughout our conversation today, you can better understand the role of the pharmacist um, in your cancer treatment journey and also understand some of those resources that are available to you. So it is interesting to note that the pharmacist is considered to be one of the most accessible healthcare providers um, out there, and that's because we're located in many different settings. You will see pharmacists located into, in your local retail pharmacies. Um, there are also specialty pharmacies. So these medications that you're getting filled for your cancer treatments may not be filled at your local pharmacy right down the street from you, but actually come from a specialty division where they actually have staff that are specifically trained to know how to handle um, these unique medications, um, or they may come from mail order pharmacies as well. Some of these specialty pharmacies also have great additional resources for our patients. Sometimes they can help you identify different financial resources, maybe copay cards that might be available. Likewise, these specialty pharmacies may also have certain programs to help you keep on track. They may have reminders for you about your refills. They may actually call you periodically to ask about how you're doing and what kind of side effects you might be experiencing as well. These are all things to take into consideration um, when you're having, um, taking these oral oncology agents. And when in doubt, you can always call your cancer clinic as well, and they're always happy to help you. Um, pharmacists may also be located in the hospital setting that can help, um, and also in your clinics as well. So pharmacist interventions have been shown to improve medication adherence in many settings. Um, pharmacists can do medication management, and this means that they're actually looking at your regimen and helping you um, figure out how the best way is to take it. They may be involved in making decisions to help simplify your regimen. For example, it's been shown that when possible, taking a medication once a day is much easier than taking it two, three, or four times a day. So pharmacists can help communicate those types of things to your providers and to you as well. They can also look into resolving adverse drug reactions and help with monitoring and adjusting therapy. They can also discuss some of the side effects with you and help you better understand the risks and benefits um, of your medication and of not taking your medication as well so that you understand um, the whole process that's going on. And they may have tools to help you remember to take your medications as directed as well. 
So basically the pharmacist is a great advocate for you. Um, we've been trained in many different um, settings and can really help you um, with your adherence to your medications and provide a great opportunity to help reinforce that information that your doctor or nurse may have shared with you already. Um, as mentioned by Dr. Given, we can also give more information about how to store your medications, what type of packaging your medications may need to be kept in, and these are all things to take into consideration because we want to make sure that your medication is working the most effective way it can for you. We can also talk about different um, counseling and education opportunities, help with memory enhancement and reinforcement of how to take those medications. And a real important thing, too, is thinking about where you're filling these prescriptions. So when possible, it is ideal to fill all your prescriptions when possible at the same pharmacy because at that time, we can do a thorough review of your medications and our computer system can give us a little extra help as well in making sure that there's no drug interactions that could be occurring that might cause increased side effects or make your medication not work as well as it's supposed to. And so when that comes into play, we need to think about not only your prescription medications, but also discussing with your pharmacist or your provider or nurse your over-the-counter medications, your herbal medications, your dietary supplements, and maybe any nutritional supplements that you may be on as well to ensure that we are getting a full and accurate history. You also want to make sure that you report any missed doses if you've been sick, any medications that you might have taken during that time, and also if you have any scheduled procedures that might interfere or cause you to take your medications differently. So some reminders from your pharmacy and pharmacist. Um, oftentimes you will get refill reminders from your pharmacy when that time occurs, and that's very important. Pharmacists can also help you organize pillboxes, and it's also important to get your family members and friends involved in that as well. It can be very advantageous, especially when starting a new medication, to have somebody go through and set things out for you and do that together to help you have a better understanding of how it all fits together and kind of double check your work. There also may be reminder packaging that pharmacies can provide and actually dose things out on a daily basis. And they can also help um, with relating your taking your medications to daily activities. So for example, maybe you'll remember, well, when I eat breakfast, I take this medication, or when I brush my teeth at night, I'm supposed to take a certain medication. Those types of reminders can really be beneficial to helping with compliance and adherence to these medications. Another thing you can do is start a pill diary, and that can be advantageous where you actually write down when you took the medication. And then you can also write down in that same diary any side effects that you may have encountered. And that can be helpful when reporting back to your provider about these medications and what kind of side effects you're occurring. It also can be nice to write down what time they occurred so that we know when it's occurring in relation to taking these medications. Um, Dr. Given started to allude to that there are a bunch of different apps out there, so if anybody has a smartphone, I strongly encourage you to go to your app store and um, just search for medication reminder. You'll have a bunch of um, different things that will pop up, and you can give them a try. A lot of them are free. Um, some of them do sometimes have a cost associated with them, so I would watch out for that. But they can provide information such as refill reminders, when to take your medications. You can record when they're taken. And some of them even have opportunities to share this information either with family members or your providers as well. So there's definitely a lot of things out there and resources to help you get organized and make sure that you're taking your medications when you need to and on time. 
So in conclusion, I hope you learned a bit more about the role of the pharmacist in cancer treatment, helping with medication adherence, and some resources that are available to you. And I thank you for taking the time for listening to me today. And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them at the end of the presentation today. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Thompson. That was really excellent and lots of information. And I'm sure there'll be questions for you at the end of the call today. Thank you so much. Um, our next speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. Uh, Dr. Palos is Clinical Research Manager, Division of Medical Affairs, Department of Cancer Survivorship, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Uh, Dr. Palos is really um, a bit of a healthcare team herself. She is both an, a nurse, a social worker, and a doctor of public health. So she comes with many different perspectives. And she will be addressing lead time and refilling prescriptions, weekends, travel, and holidays, the role of family, partners, caregivers, and others in taking your pills on schedule, and communicating with your healthcare team about adherence. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Palos. Good afternoon, and thank you, Carolyn, for the opportunity to be involved in this call um, on a topic that's so important and a topic that really impacts patient outcomes. It's most likely that many of you on today's call have encountered the challenge of taking medications as scheduled. And we heard the story by Dr. Ruddy about her uh, prenatal medications and how challenging that was. So we all have had um, been prescribed some type of medication for an illness, and we even have to follow a schedule to take our own um, vitamins and over-the-counter meds. So we know that there is this challenge. We know our patients and their families face challenges when following the schedules, and that there is a significant burden of following a medication schedule when um, the medications for the disease, treating the disease or the side effects, is also then um, influenced by the medications for like uh, hypertension, diabetes, arthritis, or other chronic conditions. Now, I became acutely aware of the challenges in following medication schedules when I worked in a clinical study that evaluated the effectiveness and the side effects of pain medication. Every patient eligible for the study had to have a moderate level of pain and be on pain meds or would soon be on pain meds. My assumption was because these patients were experiencing pain, of course they would take their pain meds as prescribed at the right time, the right dose, they wouldn't skip doses, etc. To my surprise, that assumption was inaccurate. Even patients who experienced pain did not always adhere to the pain plan. The reasons varied, and the majority of the factors were reasonable. Some patients said they were taking too many medications and did not want to add another. Others were fear, fearful of side effects or possible interactions with other medications. And others reported that they did not have pain that day, so why take the medications? So this brief example demonstrates the complexity related to identifying and understanding the factors that influence medication behavior. I also learned a valuable lesson. I learned that taking the time to educate the patient and the family at the beginning of a new plan would help minimize the risk of patients not following their medication regimen. This was a proactive approach, and that was easy for um, us to do. So all of you right now on the call are being proactive by listening and learning about this topic. Our speakers gave some excellent information, and I, in particular, Dr. Thompson really stressed the benefit of having a strong relationship with your pharmacist and how important that is. So what I'm going to do is talk to you a little bit about some of the things that we can do as, as a team, the provider, the patient, and the family, to help 
or, or help maintain that adherence or help maintain that schedule. So let me start off again by sharing another story with you about a patient who was labeled as, a non, as being non-adherent. This gentleman was 74 years old. He was diagnosed with kidney cancer. He had participated in various clinical trials, and now he was receiving medications for pain and other symptoms that he was experiencing. Well, it seemed that this gentleman was unable to experience any type of relief despite all the medications that he was on to, to help manage that pain. And in fact, we had presented uh, this gentleman at um, our grand rounds twice and had changed his medication, spoken to the wife, spoken to the children. We had provided written instructions, diaries, information on side effects. His local pharmacist had also gone over side effects to expect from the medication, reinforced the schedules and the purpose of the medication. Uh, the social worker came in and the case manager to talk about collaborating with the insurance company to make sure all the medications were being prescribed. And yet, despite all of these efforts, he continued to say that he had pain so bad it took his breath away. So in this scenario, all the factors that could potentially contribute to non-adherence had been addressed. Factors such as patient-provider communication, financial barriers, and by the way, if that's a problem, I'd like to remind you that uh, cancer care provides services in this area, so you may wish to contact them. We talked about the concerns on side effects and interactions. Uh, we looked at some of the things like his patient characteristics. But hold on, did we truly assess the patient characteristics and preferences? These are the areas that may often be overlooked by our providers, but particularly are important to our patients and family members and will influence their decision whether or not to take medication that's scheduled. So now take a moment. Have you encountered these types of challenges, and how did you deal with them if you have? So what were some of the factors influencing this patient's ability to take his medication on schedule. In meeting with the couple one day, it came to our attention that the patient never truly read the papers being given to him, and it was the same for his wife. When asked about it, both reported forgetting their glasses. However, after spending more time talking to the couple, they admitted that neither one of them could read. They had gone to school for only a few years and then had to go to work to help their families. They told us their own children even did not know they could not read. The wife opened up and began to tell us how confusing it was for her to keep track of all the medication and how often she got them confused, which ones were for pain, which one was for constipation, which ones were for the high blood pressure, and it was becoming more complex as additional medications were added. And she was unsure of who to contact for refills and often waited until one of the children came by to ask them for help in refilling the medication. The team was surprised to learn that these were the barriers. Even with all the coordinated effort, no one had thought to ask about their ability to read. So how do we deal with these types of barriers and, and other barriers that you've heard uh, our other speakers address so we can get everyone to keep on track for taking their medications? Well, I'll share some tips on how to manage these barriers. First of all, let's talk about the lead time needed in refilling prescriptions, particularly during weekends, travels, and holidays. First, remember it's truly important to follow the scheduled dose and correct medication as prescribed. There are many different ways to keep track of the schedule, and you've heard some. There's the electronic devices, your watch, your smartphone, your computer, an iPad. You can set up your alarms in that. If you're not a tech type, you can try written uh, aids. For example, the family in this gentleman's um, example 
got together, had a family meeting, and all of them put together posters that were color-coded, and they color-coded the medications along with the colors that they had on the poster. And that really helped the family, to, uh, especially the patient and his wife, to keep track of all the medications and what they were for. They noted the time, the dose, and how to take the medication, whether it was by mouth and to swallow by mouth and dissolve or whatever other way they were being asked to do the, uh, take the medication. Second, remember there's also different ways to keep the medications organized. You can use the pill containers, but again, the methods are going to depend on the preferences and the needs of the individual. A second tip is learn, the, again, the importance of planning ahead of time. That is, take some lead time whenever. Travel can be, or whenever, for example, travel is scheduled. Now, travel can be a 40-minute drive to a family member's home. It can be an afternoon visit, or it can be a five-hour flight, or even, you know, a 24-hour flight. Um, so here's a few tips that you can use in preparing for the trip. trip. Keep a schedule of when these refills are due. This is very important and helps minimize the risk of being in another state or country and running out of medications. Keep a small carry-on bag with all the medications with them, uh, either stored in there in the prescription container or in their original bottles. Depend, and again, this is going to depend on the length of the trip and the route of the transportation as to how much you will take. Keep a small index card in a family member's wallet as well as uh, the patient's wallet that lists all of the medications, their doses, time to be taken, and how they are to be taken. On the back of the index card, write down the names and contact information of the physicians prescribing the medications, the pharmacy where the medications are obtained, and then include in emergency information for each provider and pharmacy. You can also ask your physician to write a letter stating that he or she has prescribed the following medication and then have a list of the medications in that letter. You can make copies of the letter and then give one to each of your primary caregiver as well as keeping one uh, with you at all times. It is critically important to communicate with your pharmacist. Ask about the pharmacy's policies regarding refills if you lose your meds or run out of your pills while out of town. Some pharmacies will provide enough refills to last until you get home or until you can reach a prescribing physician. And again, as I mentioned, when flying, keep your medication with you on a small carry-on. And that's really important. And keep it in the bag with your meds. Keep that letter there also. And then show it to the security folks when and if needed. Communicating with your healthcare team is critical in maintaining adherence. So it's important to maintain regular and open communication among the provider, the pharmacy, the caregivers, and the patient. And also those pharmacy techs are very valuable people also as, as um, sources of information. You can also inform your provider team about the side effects that the patient has experienced if you're the caregiver. You can ask about the dangers related to taking multiple medications or the precautions. Are they taken all can they be taken all at once? Um, do they need to be taken separately? Can some be taken uh, later? You know, how, how far apart should they be? Should they be taken with food or without food? So there's a lot of details like that that your pharmacist can also help you in um, understanding and feeling comfortable with. Now remember, each individual is unique in their responses to different medications. So the answer to these questions will be tailored to meet the specific needs of the patient. So in the last few moments, I would just like to remind you of a few things that you can share with your provider that you can uh, communicate with your provider. 
Ask them to tailor their instructions to your learning preference. Do you prefer written or verbal instructions? Do you prefer the reminder systems? Um, and also talk about the refill reminders and what's the best way for you know that you prefer to get those those notices. Remember that providers are often may, are not aware that you as the patient may be experiencing these types of problems that keep you from taking the medication. So be sure and communicate with them. That's essential. And finally, remind yourself to maintain a balance. Plan ahead and prioritize. That's going to depend on your situation and, again, your medications. My colleagues and I look forward to hearing from each of you and the suggestions you may have in taking care of uh, the patient or the loved one that you have in helping them to maintain their medication schedule. Thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you. This concludes my remarks. Thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was really wonderful. And we will actually have both questions during the last part of the call, as well as any recommendations of, from the participants of things that have been particularly helpful for them in staying on schedule with taking their pills. So thank you so much. And our next speaker is uh, Carly O'Brien. Ms. O'Brien is an oncology social worker, and she is Cancer Care's um, a caregiver program coordinator at Cancer Care, and Ms. O'Brien is going to address Cancer Care's free psychosocial services and programs, the role of support, and the role of support groups. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Ms. O'Brien. Thank you, Dr. Messner. I'm happy to be a part of this call today. So I just want to talk briefly about how important it is to create a support network when you or someone you love receives a cancer diagnosis and the ways in which cancer care can help be a part of that network. We can help in a lot of different ways. To start, Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization that provides free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Cancer Care programs include individual counseling, support groups, education about resources and how to navigate the healthcare system, practical help, and some limited financial assistance. All of these services are delivered by master's level oncology social workers and are all completely free of charge. On the note of adherence and the cost of cancer treatment, we do also have a copayment assistance foundation, which can sometimes help with out-of-pocket medication costs, specifically for chemotherapy. Cancer Care's oncology social workers are trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person and his or her family and friends, and we're experienced in helping people to manage the emotional, physical, and financial challenges that arise after a diagnosis. Asking for help by joining a support group or by contacting a social worker for counseling can be both empowering and encouraging. Adjusting to and really dealing with the emotional impact of a cancer diagnosis is an important part of the healing process. Cancer Care offers face-to-face -face support groups in our local offices, which are in the New York tri-state area, as well as telephone and online support groups, which are available to anyone across the country. These groups really offer an opportunity to talk with other people who are impacted by cancer, along with the help of a cancer care social worker to facilitate the group and to help maintain those connections. Joining a support group is a way to connect with other people who are going through a similar situation or who may be having similar problems. Group members tend to offer encouragement and have a real sense of community that can provide you with additional support and guidance. For a lot of people, these connections can help lessen the isolation that so many people with cancer experience. If you're interested in learning more or participating in a cancer care support group, feel free to call our toll-free Hope Line at 
813-4673 to speak with an oncology social worker or visit our website at www.cancercare.org for more information. And while we recognize that we may not be able to resolve all of the problems that you're facing, Cancer Care Social Workers provide support, insight, and the ability to counsel you as you navigate your experience with cancer. Many people affected by cancer find this to be a reassuring and comforting service that can help you to feel that you're not alone, and we know that that's such a powerful thing. So again, contact us at 1-800-813-4673 or log on to our website at www.cancercare.org for more information about our oncology social work support. We're happy to try and help you make those connections and get all the support that you need. So thanks for taking the time uh, and attention to listen today. Um, it was a pleasure speaking with you all. Oh, thank you so much, Professor Brian. That was wonderful and a wonderful resource for people and, and really eloquently de describing that. So thank you. And now we have time for questions. We actually have a lot of time for questions. And so I'm going to ask um, Candace to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. We have a few questions already from online participants. Um, but uh, um, uh, uh, Candace, if you could explain to everybody how to queue up for questions. Everyone knows how to do it. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star and then the number one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. And our first question comes from Mr. Emil. Your line is now open. Uh, first, two questions. Are generic meds, are are they as safe and effective as name brand meds? And does cancer care advocate drug makers to keep the cost of name brand drugs uh, within affordable price ranges? Well, thank you for those questions, Emil. That's excellent questions. Um, for the first questions, um, first question, um, I'm going to ask, I guess, um, Dr. Ruddy, Dr. Giffen, can you address that? Dr. Thompson, can you all, Dr. Palace, can you all address that question? It's the kind of question that people ask all the time, and um, so. Um, Dr. Ruddy, do you want to start with that one? Sure. Um, so certainly I use, um, my patients use generic medications all the time for, um, for cost reasons, they really um, fantastically better um, cost to use generic uh, medications. And in my opinion, these are just as safe, just as effective, and I encourage my patients to use the generics for the breast cancer medications that I prescribe. Excellent. And Dr. Given or Dr. Thompson, Dr. Palos, do you want to? I think the pharmacy, uh, pharmacist should really talk about that better than me. Okay, excellent. I'm happy Dr. to Thompson, do so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, in general, um, yes, generic medications are all um, tested, and they're shown to be um, safe and effective. Um, in, in patients, that's how they get FDA approved to, to be a generic medication. So it may be made by a different um, pharmaceutical company. Um, oddly enough, some of our large pharmaceutical companies actually own um, smaller companies that actually make generics. So there may be minor differences in the medication, but it's not um, with the active ingredients. It's usually the inactive ingredients or some minor changes to it. So. In general, um, same as Dr. Ruddy said, we do um, recommend or, um, you know, whatever the patient feels comfortable with. We do have some patients that do not feel comfortable taking generic medications, but in general, they are found to be interchangeable, um, and we do encourage patients for cost reasons to use the generic medications. And does it need to be the same 
the generic, the person who, that the company that makes the generic, does it need to be the same consistently per prescription, or is can you comment on that, or are there specific? Yeah, in general, it does not. It depends on the medications. Um, some medications um, are very closely monitored, and they do recommend that if a patient starts on one type of medication to continue with um, that same brand or um, person providing it. That doesn't tend to be the case for um, these agents. It's usually a very small group of people that are manufacturing them, usually um, the original person that, that branded the drug, and then usually like one um, generic person. There may be others, but in general, it's, it's okay. So you really work closely with your pharmacist around that? Yeah, I would talk to your pharmacist about it if you do have any questions um, or your physician as well if you don't feel comfortable with it. But in general, um, they are safe and effective. So talking to your pharmacist or your physician, um, I know I do that sometimes. If, if I get a prescription filled at the pharmacy, I don't have many, but it, it comes out looking different than what I'm used to. And I'm just like, what's what's going on here? <laughs> and um, they're happy to tell you that, you know, they have a different generic being provided now or, or whatever the case may be. It is the same medication. So when in doubt, always ask questions. Um, people are more than happy to answer them. Excellent. Any other, any other member of the team want to comment on that? Or? And then and in terms of the second part of your question, Emil, I think that all of the um, cancer um, advocacy organizations really um, try to work closely with industry around actually getting support for these medications, so the copay assistance programs, financial assistance programs, and also just in having dialogue around um, the costs. Um, and so these are definitely um, issues that um, I would say that all the different collaborating organizations on this call, all of us are obviously um, aware of, as are many of you, and um, work um, you know, in collaboration to try to figure out solutions to this because obviously everyone needs to take their medications and we need to find ways to make sure that they are medications that you can all um, access and get to. So I hope that that helps. Um, and our next question. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, please press star 1 to ask a question at this time. Okay, we have a question from actually um, one of our online participants from Vivian. What is the reference for Diet Coke interfering with medication? I think, um, was that Dr. Given that you mentioned something about Diet Coke with? Yeah, the, it was in a uh, ASCO reference, and I don't, I don't have the journal with me or the article today. I can uh, send it to you, Carolyn, if you want. And that'd be great. I think it did come out on the ASCO. Is it ASCO updates, um, or was it on, on Cancer.net? I'm trying to think. It, it did, when you said that, I thought this sounds familiar. So actually, if you would send me the reference, and we'll just send it out to everybody. Um, it's a good question. Yep. Um, and um, and ASCO is American Society of Clinical Oncology. They often do provide updates. Um, actually, any one of you, actually, they have something called cancer.net, which um, you have information about um, in your materials. And um, we will send you further information about that. But it's a wonderful resource to actually um, visit because they often do have um, various updates of information that really come out on a regular basis that might be very helpful to all of you as well. Um, um, so, um, so that's an excellent question. Thank you. Um, and then we have one of our, another one of our online participants, Gail, has this question. Um, is there a way I can help my mom out with her treatment schedule as I am living out of state? So the long-distance caregiver. So I'm going to ask Ms. O'Brien if you would start with that one just because I know that's a particular area that you present on a lot, and just that long-distance caregiver, um, if you'd want to say something about that. And of course, I'll ask some of the other speakers as well to, to um, add to that. 
Sure. It's not uncommon for a long-distance caregiver to sort of have the job or responsibility of helping their loved one to manage their medication. So a lot of people will uh, find that it's helpful to connect with the person with cancer's medical providers to get a full written list of instructions on when those medications should be taken. Um, sometimes long-distance caregivers will send a text update regularly or will just help the patient to set up an alarm or a reminder system or something like that. Um, again, they can be very involved in the care and in sort of checking in on things even from a long distance. Sometimes it just takes getting a little bit creative. Excellent. And any others want to comment on that? Thank you. Um, I'd just like to follow up about the being creative. One of the things that's also very helpful is to um, identify a neighbor or someone that lives in that city of, of where your mom is or a patient is. So that way, it, you know, you'll have someone that you know that you can kind of call in case of emergencies, such as you know you forget the refill and she needs um, transportation or um, the instructions change or the medication changes. So it's just good to maintain that kind of communication with someone that's nearby. So that way, um, if you can't get a hold of the patient or your mother that quickly, you'll be able to get a hold of this other individual. Excellent. Any other comments? That's excellent, too. <laughs> okay. So the, the long-distance caregiver is very important here, and there are many ways. And I know that we work with a lot of them. Well, Carly, do you want to say something about the groups and things like that that many of them participate in in terms of just because um, it really is a, a really a, an important I mean, many people do have relatives with this very mobile society that we live in in all different parts of the country and world. So, I'm Absolutely. Proud. So I, I just want to acknowledge that whether you're five minutes away or 5,000 miles away from somebody with cancer, you can still be considered a caregiver and do play a very important role in the patient's care. And I think a lot of long-distance caregivers sort of feel like they're out of that network of, of being considered a caregiver because they might not be doing the hands-on caregiving every day. Um, so we really, at Cancer Care especially, encourage any caregiver, whether it's long distance or local, to get connected with support. The nice thing about our, um, our online support groups and telephone support groups uh, is that they're great for people who might be far away or across the country. They're very accessible. And again, whether somebody is a local caregiver or a long distance caregiver, a lot of the same questions, concerns, fears, and worries are very much the same. So we want to normalize that and validate that and give people support sort of wherever they are. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and we have another question, which is really an important one, from Dan, one of our um, another online participant. I work at a full-time job and find it difficult to remain on schedule with my medications. What should I do if I forget a dose of medicine or take it later than scheduled? Do you have any tips on adhering to my medication in the workplace? So um, I'm probably going to ask everyone to weigh in on that because that's really a very complicated question. I'm going to ask Dr. Given to begin um, that discussion, and then we'll kind of have this whole team weigh in on it because it's, so, it's really so important. Yes, generally we um, tell our patients that they should always uh, carry in something that they take with them all the time an extra dose of medication. So for the women, we tell them to stick it in their purse an extra dose or for a gentleman in a briefcase or something else that they take all the time so that they would have that with them. Most of the medications in the instructions will tell you how late you can take a medication before you should really skip that dose. 
And so again, if you read the patient instructions that come with the medications, it will tell you that if it's more than eight hours, you should wait till the next day and just skip that dose or, what, or that you can take it if it's up to eight hours or whatever. So know that and have an extra dose with you would be my recommendation. Any other comments about the workplace issues and, you know, and taking one's medications in, at work when you're Okay. I agree that it's definitely a challenge, and having an extra dose with you is important. That's oftentimes what I do with medications that, that I've taken, is just to have something extra with in case you realize I normally take it at home, but oh darn, I forgot, or I'm leaving work later than I expected. So you, you have that um, extra kind of with you, um, just in case as a little backup. You can always buy a little pill box if your medications can be stored in a pill box, and just keep one or two in there so you, you have it as an extra. Um, also sometimes setting a reminder um, on your phone or on your calendar could be something advantageous too to help prompt you to remember to do it. Um, kind of like whenever your lunch break may be or depending on when you have to take it um, could be helpful as well to kind of almost schedule that time for yourself to help you kind of remember to take it. Excellent. Thank you. And um, we have another question from our online participants. Um, so what advice do you have about taking medication on schedule while traveling, especially through different time zones? And although we did address it, I think if we could just spend a little bit more time with that. Um, uh, um, uh, let me ask, uh, uh, see, Dr. Given, do you want to start with that one? <laughs> well, again, for me, it would uh, be suggesting to patients to have the reminder, like a, an alarm or something that goes off. On, on their time. The problem with that is when you go through different time zones, your smartphone changes that as well. So um, it, it's another tough one to even going across the country, let alone traveling internationally to do. I don't have any other great ideas beyond um, trying to have someone remind you that your support person is with you, um, making sure you have the pill with you in whatever is with you, not in the luggage department if you're traveling uh, to do that. So maybe someone else has some idea that's worked for them. Any other thoughts about that? I'd just like to add that um, I think in cases where you're going to be traveling through different time zones, it's going to be particularly important to plan ahead of time. And so you may even want to write down um, you know, your time zones. I know that's very, uh, even nowadays, it's still, for me, it's very confusing when I go from the East Coast to the West Coast to the Central. So what I try to do, you know, is just maintain a little card that has the times, and then I, I coincide it. Like if my schedule is four times a day or whatever, two times a day, then I put, and I have the times there, I then put the times of whichever time zone I'm going to. And that's helped me keep on track so, um, so I can keep it in my head, okay, this is, this is the time here. It's 9 o'clock here, but it's 10 o'clock there, and 11 o'clock, somewhere else. So it, that is important. Again, that requires planning ahead of time. So if there's a way you can just kind of make that a habit, I think that would be very helpful. And in terms of just talking with your oncologist, if these are significant, if you're going to be away for a week or two and you're in a totally different time zone where morning is night and all of that is switched around, do you have a conversation with your oncologist and really plan out the schedule you're going to adhere to. Do you stay to the, to the schedule that you're on where you live, or do you switch to another time zone? And do we want to comment on that? Is that something, Dr. Ruddy, that sometimes happens for people? Is it going to be away for a period of time? Sure. I think for the most part, we don't want people to have to be waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning to take their medication. So 
um, discussing with your oncologist if there's going to be a, a major change in time zone that's going to mean that if you wanted to stick to your original timing that you'd be really interfering with your quality of life. I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, for the most part, we can find ways to work around that and adjust the timing maybe gradually each day so that that's not really necessary. Excellent. Um, well, I have to say this has been a remarkable call. I really want to thank our speakers. This has been quite the, I would say, uh, tour de force. It's really having such a wonderful, first of all, such an array of a multidisciplinary team um, with us today, and also um, just really um, covering such a broad scope of areas. And we hope that you have received information today that is helpful to you. We also um, hope that you will take this information back to your treating healthcare team. We also appreciate the questions you've all asked because that enhances the call today and that you've been very active participants in the call as well um, as, as listeners too. Um, so I want to thank our speakers. I want to thank our participants. I know I remind everyone this is a one-hour workshop and in planning a program like this, we do recognize that you have many, many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour program. And so I do want to remind all of you that there are many more services that you can access when this call ends. And indeed, in terms of questions that you may have that we didn't get to, I want to remind you as well that, um, that there are two ways you can get your questions answered. One is, if you have a question in terms of taking your medications and a medication question per se, or your treatment, uh, about your treatment as well, I would suggest that you call the National Cancer Institute at 1-800-422-6237. Again, 1-800-422-6237. And they will be able to help you with any medically focused question that you may have. However, if you have a question about how do I pay for my medications, practical assistance, um, if you want to talk with one of our social workers about getting a, joining a support group or counseling services or just talking about your experience and just trying to remember to take your medications, then I would say call us at Cancer Care at 1-800-813-4673. Again, 1-800-813-4673. And our staff are here to, of course, help you with any of the questions or concerns you may have. Most importantly, as we conclude the program today, we don't want anyone to feel that you're alone in coping with cancer and in trying to remember to take your pills on schedule. We want you to now know that you have this cohort of organizations there for you, Cancer Care being one of them, and that you can call us at any time, and our staff are here to help you. Again, I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may all disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.